Don't ask me to talk. Connection through conversation. Join self-described conversationalist Stacy Heller as she talks with guests about topics and ideas from the ridiculous to the sublime on Don't Ask Me to Talk. Now, here's your host, Stacy Heller. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Don't Ask Me to Talk. I am Stacy Heller. Remember, if you can't listen live, you can check out the Don't Ask Me to Talk podcast on Podcast One, Spotify, Apple, Google, and more. You can also text DAMT, D-A-M-T-T, to 55678 for details. If you want to call in, the number is 425-373-5527. You can also find me through my website, stacyconnects.com. My guest today is Nancy Cantor of Cantor uh, Consulting. We met through the tangled web that is networking and BNI. Uh, Nancy, you're here. Hello. Hi, I'm very excited to be here with you. I am excited to have you. I love talking to people from the East Coast. It makes me feel like I'm home again. Oh, well, I'm happy to bring that East Coast flair to what you're doing tonight. Well, thank you. I know it's funny. It's it's night for you. It's six. Um, for me, it's afternoon. <laughs> I'll it's, see. I'm bringing the East Coast flair. Here you go. Exactly. Exactly. Now, remember, East Coast flair can also include cursing. No cursing. <laughs> okay. I'm glad you told me that. I will be good. There you go. It's hard for me. I mean, I, I'm i not generally a massive cursor, but if you tell me that I can't, suddenly I want to. It's bizarre. Um, hello to Mom and Lee. And Diane, I think that the glorious ladies of Penswood are back together again after Mom and Lee had their little sojourn in Vermont. And now the gang is back together and I'm sure terrorizing all of the folks at Penswood. Um, But they are, I'm sure, happy to be back together and um, enjoying themselves. I'm curious about what they're going to be cooking up for Halloween because they seem to have gotten into the whole blow up holiday festive decor thing. So that should be interesting. Um, okay, so for my rant and ramble, I don't have much because I'm empty nesting and it's weirdly quiet when you don't have your family to talk about. It's a little depressing. Um, like the kids, they don't check in with me all the time. They're functioning. They're thriving, surviving. It's kind of a bummer. Um, but also... A proud moment. I don't know. Like this is this is the thing that you wait for, um, and it's a little bizarre. I feel like I'm in a suspended reality. For instance, I can sleep as late as I want. There's no one to get off to school. I can go to bed early. I can go to bed late. I can have crackers and cheese for dinner. I don't even have to have dinner. Um, and I'm very lucky that I get to do that with my best friend. So it's been it's been fun. Um, but it's definitely been odd. I also get to do it with my cats. (laughs) They are, um, with the construction that's going on in the house and the, the people that are in and out and the kids not being there, they are up in arms. Finn definitely needs to go on like Kitty's, uh, Kitty Xanax or something. Wouldn't they be up in legs? Oh yeah. 
Yeah, you're right. They wouldn't be up in arms. Because they're cats. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, good point. Hmm, that Eric, always thinking of good points. Um, so, yes, they're up in legs. Thank you. And I really feel like Finn needs this kitty Xanax or something because he is just, he paces, like paces, 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 paces. Cole, of course, is like, I'm ready for retirement. Forget the empty nesting. Let's just go straight to retirement where we're in bed all the time. Um, and Percy is basically just constantly licking his butthole. <laughs> so it's a thing. I will say, though, that um, Bob the Bobcat was by last week, and it was a harrowing experience. It was 8-something in the morning, and he... I don't usually hear him. It's not like he rings on the doorbell and says, can the cats play? So typically you hear the sound of the cats, we'll call it interacting. And then I rushed to the door. Well, this time when I rushed to the door, I, the bobcat was right there. And I had, of course, flung the door open wide. And I was like, oh, you're like right there. So then I kind of shut the door again and... Uh, was yelling at the bobcat, and I have the audio of this, which I'm going to play. It is terrible. I'm also going to share the video on my Instagram because this is terrible. Okay, can you hear this? That's me yelling. Is that crazy? Did you hear it? <laughs> I heard it, yeah. It was on, I'll show you the video, Eric. You'll be very, like... I went to my ring later and got the whole thing on tape. And Bob went after Cole. Um, he may be friends with Finn, but he is not friends with Cole. Wow. Poor Cole. He's so maligned. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, the kitchen is 99% done. Um, it's the 99, um, it's the 1% now that like will take forever to get done. Um, but it looks amazing. Of course, the resulting impulse purchases that have happened as a result of this are uh, proving to be very expensive. Like suddenly it was like, well, you can't have the, the basin in the powder room not match the counters in the kitchen. And Pete was like, well, what are we even thinking? And then um, as we would sit watching TV, it was like, well, now we got to move the TV over. But that means we have to lower the fireplace, <laughs> which means that we have to do something with the, the cabinets to the left of the fireplace. And so it's the construction version of if you give a mouse a cookie. I've never heard that, but is that similar to the butterfly effect? Yes. Okay. Yes, exactly. Yeah. You've never heard of if you give a mouse a cookie? No. If you give a moose a muffin, if you give a pig a pancake, uh -huh. clearly you don't have children. <laughs> Then those animals have breakfast? <laughs> um, it's this whole book series. Sure. <laughs> and it's this idea that, like, if you give a mouse a cookie, he's going to want a glass of milk to go with it. Uh -huh. And then he's going to need a napkin and, like, blah, 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 blah. And it's the whole, like, domino effect, if you will, similar to the butterfly effect um, that happens. They're very cute books. See, I'm old school, so I just think of the lady that swallowed the fly and then... Didn't she, I think perhaps she swallowed she'll a die. frog to catch the fly and on and on and on. Yeah. Right. And in the end, perhaps she'll die. Right. And honestly, <laughs> like by the end of all of the construction, perhaps I'll die. <laughs> Let's hope not. <laughs> well, right. Well, and it's it's funny because 
we're doing all of this stuff. And on the one hand, we we're committed to being in the house at least until Charlie graduates from college. He's a freshman. So that's at least four years. Um, and so on the one hand, it's like, why are we doing all of this? It's sort of silly. On the other hand, it's kind of nice to enjoy it. The kids are old enough that they'll appreciate it. They'll treat it well. Uh, they'll use it and enjoy it. And we get to use it and enjoy it. And also, as you think about resale, I'm like, okay, four kids using the same upstairs bathroom for, it'll be like 15 years in next April. That bathroom has seen stuff. <laughs> and it needs to be... Seen some mice with cookies. Oh, it has seen a lot of cookies. And so, you know, we're sort of like, all right, we'll go to the fireplace in that area next, and then we'll go upstairs and we'll deal with some bathrooms and some carpet. And then we're done. I promise we're done. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. My Staceyism. Here I go. When there is no enemy inside, the enemy outside cannot hurt you. Deep thoughts. This is not with Jack Handy, but very deep thoughts. Um, this whole idea, I am going to be working this week with the Michael Bruce Image Consulting team. They are, for something like the 15th year, um, going to be working at the collection or Bellevue Square, as people locally know it. And they're doing Fall Fashion Week. And I am helping them out. So I will be there Wednesday through Sunday, pretty much from open to close. So like nine to nine every day, except for Saturday. And the the dialogue that's going on in my head of all the things that I need to do and how I haven't gotten them done and, you know, this and that and whatever, the narratives have been brutal. So I have been working on getting rid of the enemy inside so that then when outside things happen, I'm like, what? No big deal. Yeah, don't worry about it. Um, especially when you go into these these 2020 um, consultations that Michael Bruce Image Consulting offers, because people are coming in and they're in a vulnerable place where they're talking about, you know, um, how do I hide my cankles? Or I don't like my uh, my skinny jeans. Apparently, I'm supposed to wear mom jeans or, you know, I need a suit for getting married and it needs to be updated. Last suit that I had was my dad's. Um, so people are in a vulnerable place and there's baggage and narratives around that. So it's like I need to make sure that I have like a bubble of protection around me because otherwise I'm going to be carrying my own baggage plus theirs. And honestly, my back is... Um, in bad enough shape from carrying my book bag throughout all of my high school years. Right. <laughs> I, don't, I don't need extra baggage. I mean, if somebody else's baggage is nicer than mine, I would maybe consider I was going to say, is it matching baggage? Right? It's, you know. Like, like the old timey, like, we're going on a cruise. Versace. Right? <laughs> and like Louis Vuitton with like the big hat thing and the makeup bag. I mean, I would maybe consider that. But I suspect that in that really nice baggage, there's probably even more issues like look at Kanye Kim like there's that's a lot of matching baggage however I think it is filled filled to the brim with stuff so um so that is the thing that I'm doing I went this morning and I had a session with this woman who does energy healing and she uses like uh energy and stones and all this kind of stuff 
And so I was looking for balance and boundaries. So that's my thing. That's my mantra, balance and boundaries. Um, And working on strengthening my ankles so that I can wear high heels for the next five days. (laughs) So that's that. Um, All right. I've ranted. I've rambled. Eric, how was Vegas? Oh, it was great. Yeah? I'm not a big gambler guy, so didn't go to any casinos, but uh, went to Hoover Dam uh, for the first time. And okay. that's really something. It's really something. Yeah. It's, it's really amazing. Cool. Yeah. We did a, um, we had like 36 hours in Vegas once. We were going from Utah to the East Coast, which is bizarre, but anyway. Um, so we were flying out of Vegas. And so we took the kids on this once in a lifetime. Let's just take a helicopter ride over to the Grand Canyon so that we can see that sucker <laughs> and call it good. Check the box off. But you go over the Hoover Dam, mm. and it's unbelievable. I, yeah. I, I mean, things like the Hoover Dam, which, you know, man-made, but then you have the Grand Canyon. And the things, when you live in such a little bubble, you forget the vastness of this country. And it does reassure me that... Every square inch has not been necessarily touched or contaminated, um, but it's it's something. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, really cool to visit. I mean, you know, you may think eh, that sounds a little dry to me when you <laughs> compare it to the flashy glitz. It's a uh, Vegas, damn, Eric. It is not dry. <laughs> Actually, it is dry. Well, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, you can see Lake Mead is about. Uh, I, I don't know, just off the top of my head, but it looks like about 300 feet lower wow. than normal because, you know, drought conditions and climate change and all that good stuff. Uh, so looks like they're going to be straining for some water in the uh, Las Vegas uh, area for yeah. <laughs> quite some time. Right? The Bellagio is going to yeah. have to like keep recycling their water for the show. But one thing, uh, another thing I checked out that was really cool was the... Uh, Las Vegas um, uh, Museum of Neon, which I don't know if you've had a chance to check that out, but no. it's well worth a visit. Uh, they've got a bunch of the old uh, casino signs um, in a, like a boneyard, basically, <laughs> that you get to tour through. And a lot of them have been restored and are lit up. So it's like going back in time, kind of. It's really cool. That is so cool. I love that. I mean, the the things that you see in old photographs and postcards and mm-hmm. movies and stuff. I think that's so cool. We're going to the East Coast for family weekend for um, Grace. And we are leaving at the crack of dawn on the Monday. And so we decided to stay at a hotel, basically right at JFK. So Pete booked a night at the TWA Hotel, which is the old terminal that has that retro vibe to it. Oh, cool. So I'm very excited about that. So I love that kind of stuff. Oh, that's cool. I'm going to have to look that up now because hmm. I'm not a gambler either. I, like that just holds no appeal. And then the smoke that's in the air and, you know, the whole thing. The closest I got to wanting to gamble was uh, seeing the signs for the $10 steak and lobster <laughs> <laughs> dinner that they were offering at Binion's, I think it was. And I'm mm. thinking, yeah, that's a gamble right there. Right? <laughs> Getting that. I don't that's know. like gas station sushi, baby. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not even a lobster fan, but $10. I mean, come on. Oh, my gosh. That's funny. All right. Well, um, I'm glad you had fun anyway. And, uh, you know, you didn't lose your shirt. And uh, you you saw the sights. So 
Um, we are going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, we are going to, I am going to be chatting with Nancy Cantor, uh, who I promise will be much more talkative when we come back. I think she's being polite. Um, so keep listening to Don't Ask Me to Talk. We will be right back. Feelings of disconnect are the cause of an ever-surging mental health crisis. Many of us feel apathetic about ourselves, our work, home, and relationships. We don't know how to re-engage. I'm Greg Kuyper of Kuyper Counseling. At the Root focuses on emotional connection and how awareness is at the root of building healthy relationships with self and others. Join me weekly to re-engage with both. At the Root airs Mondays at 3.30 p.m. here on KKNW. Subscribe to the podcast or go to Kuyper Counseling. Hi, I'm J.D.K. Winnikin, host of This Show is All About You. If you're like me, you seek many things in your life. Adventure, meaning, belonging, you have dreams, and you want fun, and of course, you want love. And we also want other people to join us along the path. But what happens when you don't know how to have all that or where to start? Well, join me every week to learn more about how, because I am just like you. So join me each week here on KKNW for This Show is All About You, a show about how you and me become we and what that means for all of us. And be sure to visit my website, wordsbyjdk.com. Are you stuck in a creative straitjacket, going crazy, trying to find a different way out, exhausted from trying to make old ideas feel fresh? And relevant, Popcorn and Noodle is a boutique agency that specializes in popcorning new ideas and noodling on existing ones for entrepreneurs and small businesses. Whether it's ideas about what to name a new venture, how to promote your services, or which direction to consider next, Popcorn and Noodle serves ideas that pop and stick. Don't go crazy. Go to popcornandnoodleideas.com. Creative solutions serve daily. Wondering what's on next on Alternative Talk 1150? Check out 1150kknw.com. Don't ask me to talk. Welcome back to Don't Ask Me to Talk. I am joined today by Nancy Cantor. Uh, Nancy, during the break, was saying, I didn't even know what to say. Um, the two of you were having such a good conversation. And I, I actually thought about doing stickers that say, um, I was a, de- a guest on Don't Ask Me to Talk, and I didn't get a word in edgewise. <laughs> so welcome well, to the show, Nancy. Uh, well, I was trying to honor the tenet of Don't Ask Me to Talk. Okay, I won't. I won't. You told me not to swear. And then you said butthole, and I'm thinking, wait a minute. I guess butthole's okay, but I won't swear. Well, you know, it's it's it was in reference to the cat. So... Oh, to the cat. Oh, if right. you can refer to... To animals in that way. Okay. Well, all right. you know, I just want to get the distinctions on the West Coast. I'm from the East Coast and, you know, they're all blurred together. You well, know, yeah. People, animals, you know, whatever. Right. Exactly. Well, you know, we're all animals. Um, we're all animals at heart, right? So, Nancy, I met you, as I said uh, at the top of the show, in that tangled web called uh, networking and BNI. And I loved chatting with you right off the bat because you just get it. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, you are, you have been creatively t- 
teaching, mentoring, and inspiring people for years. And it is something that you've done in a whole bunch of different settings. And and now you're doing it in a couple different ways. So, um, so let's talk about that. Okay. So do you want do you want me to start with my history a little bit so people can know? Yeah, um, like let people know. Yeah, like you know what I mean when I'm talking about when I describe you as creatively teaching and mentoring and inspiring people. Uh, what that has looked like for you? Okay, great. So, I mean, I started my career, I was a special ed uh, teacher counselor. I have a degree in human development, which is a combination of education and psychology. And I feel like I've learned everything that I've done on the court. You know, I'm not an academic. I mean, I did go to college uh, and I've taken many, many, many uh, graduate courses, but I'm an on the court kind of person. So as a special ed teacher, one of my major projects was I was on a team that set up an alternative high school in 1977. And it, they were for kids that, you know, the school was for kids that were not successful in the mainstream. So it was really exciting to work with other people and, and create an environment and a community and a curriculum that really suited the kids that were coming to our school. And the whole point was they wanted to graduate, like they had a vision and a mission for why they were there. Mm -hmm. And our job was to create the environment and the curriculum and the physical, the whole thing. We interviewed, you know, all the special ed directors, all the parents, all the kids. Um, they gave us a space that used to be the old chapel in a college setting. I mean, we had like this really funky space and, you know, we would go to the, you know, we had nine schools that we served. So you'd have to go to all the schools to get materials. We just had to put this thing together, like from soup to nuts completely. And we created an amazing school and we had kids that graduated and they got diplomas from their home high school, which really served them in the long run. You know, it wasn't oh, like from yeah. the alternative high school or G and not like any of that is bad, but we love that, you know, their um, high schools honor that. Absolutely. And, um, Annie is a, um, you know, my oldest is a special ed high school teacher and they care about that. They want it to be an inclusive experience. You know, they, these kids should be mixed to a certain degree with the gen ed kids. And so having it be from their high school, um, you know, that work that you were doing all those years ago, um, that was, you know, that was instrumental in creating a foundation for the way things are done now. Yeah, I think alternative education. I mean, if you look at how schools are formulated, you know, there's different learning styles. And the one that schools are basically based on is linear sequential. If you think about it, everything's organized, linear, studying things, repeating back what you've studied. There's lots of kids who are not designed that way. Mm -hmm. That's not their skill set. You know, so it, it's not a mystery or, or strange that they can't make it in that environment. They do their best, but it's just not a good fit for who they are. So if you create a school that really honors the learning style of the people that come to it, and that's only possible in an alternative high school, you know, that you have the space to do it. And um, I just felt very privileged to be part of that mission to create that school. And it's still in existence today. A year ago, I went to visit it. And, um, you know, it's different. It's got a different name now, but it was so fulfilling to realize like we started that way back when and it's still serving kids and graduating kids and doing you know like you create a model and it continues after you leave that's successful 
that it keeps doing what you designed it to do. And that mm-hmm. is really, really terrific because kids need that. And um, it served a lot of kids over time. So that was like my beginning. And, you know, I did a couple of other things. I used to design behavior management programs because I really liked kids to be reinforced for what they did right, as opposed to punished for what they did wrong. Mm-hmm. And I got to present the uh, program that I designed at, um, I don't know, it's the 10 year conference of special education, you know, which started, I think in 1976. So this must've been in 86. So it's kind of dating me, but you know, but I loved alternative high school, but uh, you know, but then I started getting into a more, um, I don't want to say more spiritual mode because I think my mission with, that I did with kids was really spiritual, mm-hmm. but I started doing yoga and I went to Kripalu and, um, I got involved with Kundalini yoga. I went to their Sikh summer solstice. And then I lived at this place called Kropala. It's out here on the East in Lenox, Massachusetts. And you know, it's a health and yoga center. And I lived there for a month for a month doing their holistic practitioner course. And while I was there, I had, you know, when I was out in New Mexico for the Sikh summer solstice, I had bought beads and findings. And I was in my dorm room. I decided I wanted to make something for my sister. And somebody came in. They said, oh, do you do that professionally? And I said, yes. <laughs> and I'm not sure why I said that. But then, then she commissioned me to make her a necklace, which then I had to tell her what it cost. So I made up a price. She paid me the price. And I designed this beautiful necklace. And then people started to see the kind of, you know, like sort of like you put it, if you have the right necklace, you know, with certain crystals and stones mm-hmm. and colors and you put it on, it like really um, accentuates your essence, mm-hmm. you know, like it amplifies your essence. And so she put it on and people really notice like, oh my goodness, that is beautiful. Where'd you get that? So then I, people started coming to me and asking me to design jewelry for them, which I started to do. And then people who work there, you know, people who did, you know, estheticians, they did facials and massage therapists wanted to trade with me for their services. So, you know, within a month, I created a whole cottage industry of, um, you know, creating jewelry and getting just about anything I wanted. You were doing like Etsy before Etsy was a thing. Yeah, I didn't have a store, but I was definitely around and people would approach me and say, oh, you the jewelry lady? And I go, yes, I am. What would you like? How can I help you? You know, like I had my, my store voice on, right? Of course. And so um, so I did that. And when I went back to, um, and I went back to school and I decided I would finish up the year. And, but I figured, oh, well, but I'll design a business. Like I want to try this out as a business because I was thinking, I'm kind of in a new mode now, you know, the alternative high schools, they had a great principal that came in, you know, a lot of things were going really well. And I've, I've started to realize about myself, like I kind of go in with a mission, but there's a place where it gets complete, like it's done. And I don't have to stay there anymore because whatever idea or model that got put together is going to continue. And it honestly doesn't need me anymore. And that's kind of how I was starting to feel and that it was time for me to move on. So the spiritual mode. So I ended up creating a jewelry business, you know, crystal and semi-precious stones. I got into the chakras because I'd been studying yoga and, you know, and I started selling a bunch of jewelry. Like, you know, people would, you know, I did commission stuff, a lot of, you know, mostly for individuals would Mm -hmm. approach me and I had a whole line that I was creating. I was so enjoying myself. And so that was the beginning of it. And so I decided I was going to leave education 
And I started this whole, I called it essential designs and, you know, sort of the crystals and stones support your energy to, you know, for harmony and balance. I mean, I just came up with it. I came up with all this like beautiful collateral material because it was a jewelry, you know, a jewelry business. Right. And, uh, you know, I got fancy cards, like two colored cards. I mean, the problem was I actually had a lot of money saved up that I just spent on stuff. And um, so, but I started. And people were buying jewelry for me. I did weddings. I, you know, I had somebody that came to me with their grandmother's old wedding dress in tatters. And I took the beads off. And I made these gorgeous, like filigree cuffs, you know, that, and wow. she ordered one and then she ordered another, then she ordered another. It was, it was, I was having a blast. Like I was having so much fun. And then I think at one point I did hire a coach and we started talking about selling in stores. And I asked him, I said, well, how do you help? How do you sell in stores? So um, it wasn't complicated. You just go to stores, you know, and then you tell them you sell jewelry. Would they like to look at it kind of thing? I mean, that was my beginning steps. But then what I started to do is I started to do collections because I realized collections were very attractive. Like I went to Bermuda and I did the Bermuda collection based mm-hmm. on all the beautiful colors that I saw there because I was into yogic things. I did the chakra collection. And then, you know, and then I would create like a Valentine's Day collection. You know, and one day a friend of mine brought me to Marblehead no. and I realized, you know, and it was like before uh, Valentine's Day, it was probably in January. So I said, okay, I'm going to just go around and see if people are interested in my valentine's day collection all made out of rose quartz and i had a whole story behind it and had all my tags everything gorgeous and people you know if you went into the store and you said are you interested in joy they go oh no we've got plenty of joy right if you say valentine's day is coming up and i have a valentine's day collection and i'm here today like in a special preview and i'm going to different stores and i would love to show you my valentine's day collection can we just take a few minutes and do that they would always say Yes, I would love to see it. And then I would, and then as soon as they saw it, they bought it. So I kind of learned a lot more about sales. By the, I did my jewelry design business for two years and I started selling to 15 stores and Kripalu became like my biggest, um, you know, my biggest selling, you know, my biggest client. And they were amazing. I started doing prayer beads for them. And then I did chakra prayer beads for them. I did a commemorative uh, prayer beads. I call them malas for the guru when he turned 60. They they were kicking. I, you know, I also uh, got into bread and circus, which are the precursor of whole foods. Yep. And it took me, you know, you know, sometimes it takes a year and talking to all the right people, you know, in order to get in. But once I got in, I sold to four of their stores, but I sold to 15 stores. By the time I was done, I had three girls that worked for me who are awesome. And for each one of my collections, I started a medicine wheel collection. I talked to the woman that wrote the book on the medicine wheel, and she gave me permission to do that. And so I had medicine wheel, I had the chakra collection, and then I had all the prayer beads. Now, how long did you do this for? I did this for two years. But I have to say one thing that I didn't do that, and I really didn't know about, I was a special ed teacher, and here I'm running, literally, after a while, it's like a manufacturing business, Right. is I really didn't know how to run a business. I knew how to sell jewelry. I did not know how to run a business. So that, you know, we could fast forward a little bit to, like, where I am now, because I'm a business development coach. And I think because of that, I was well aware that cash flow is king. And, you know, I had spent a ton of money on all my beautiful things that made everything look beautiful. Beautiful. 
And, but, but I also, I was not conscious of, you know, you sell things, especially to stores and you have a big order. You have to buy everything up front. You have to make, you know, have it made. You have to pay the people that make it. And they might not pay you for a month or two. Right. If you're lucky, you know, net 90, net 120, you know, you know, it could be three months and they don't always adhere to, you know, whatever their net, whatever it is. And so, you know, it just got stressful. And I had been doing a lot of work at a, at a company called Landmark Education, which put on personal growth courses. And right around the time that I was feeling stressful, they asked me if I would like a job. And I said, yes, I would. You know, it's sort of like how I said yes to yes, I do this professionally. And I said, do you want a job? And I said, yes, I would like a job. And they hired me as the registration manager for one of their programs. And that, you know, and I ended up working there. I went on staff there. I did that. And um I became, you know, they, they have enrollment managers. I've done, I became the enrollment manager. Then I got trained. They shifted their whole programming to curriculum for living. And the fourth part was a program called self-expression and leadership. And then I went to San Francisco to get trained to lead self-expression and leadership. I was the first person in Boston to do that. It's and fascinating. Was, well, I'm going to interrupt you for a second. Um, it's fascinating to, to listen to your story. And I keep thinking of a building as the metaphor. It's like the first thing that you did, you did all this foundational work when you were working with the SPED school. And then you did the jewelry and you were kind of doing like the window dressing. And then it was like, well, there's, I'm missing something in the middle. And then with the landmark, you were working on the processes that the foundation was already there and you didn't have to worry about the window dressing. It was about processes. So it's an interesting way that you did it. Well, it was very interesting because I felt like I, I attracted what I most needed to learn. Because in working for Landmark, it was very, um, you know, I had to keep very clear statistics on everything. I mean, it was a very heartfelt business. And we did programs that transformed people's lives. So the mission was there. But organizing around the courses and getting all the paperwork in and all the payments in, like there were definitely structures and statistics I had to do on a regular basis just to keep track of everything. And I, I had to enroll volunteers. Like I had an all-volunteer army that worked with me. And I would have to enroll them and then train them in the job, you know, the job that they did. So I learned so much about that. I mean, I loved my assistants. And they did so much work. But they came because they wanted to be trained and developed, mm -hmm. you know, and I started to really, it used to be, I think, oh, they're here to help me out. I finally learned, no, they're here to be accountable for something and they're here with me so I can help train them and develop them in how to be accountable for very specific things that we needed to accomplish. Mm -hmm. And it was a very fulfilling job where they, you know, they're volunteers. Volunteers need to get something out of what they're doing. Yes. You know, they're not your, your unpaid helpers. They really are there to be trained and developed if that's what they want and learn more of the methodology that you're working inside of and get benefits for themselves in their own lives. So that was just a very exciting time in my life. I love the landmark technology and what they do for people and the courses that they offer. And, you know, and I was able to participate as well. So I learned a lot in the process of leading programs, but also, um, being able to participate in programs as well. And it was during that time I met my husband, we got married. And then towards the end of my um, 
I mean, I didn't realize, but I was pregnant. I got pregnant after I got married. And so then I had to figure out what I was going to do. And I knew I was not going to work at, you know, I was not going to have the same job that I had. I knew that because I would work 12 hour days. It was incredible. You know, the length of time that I spent there and, you know, the energetic and working at night. So I knew once I had, and I knew I was having a son after a while. And I knew once my son came, I wanted to be home with my son Mm -hmm. and orchestrate. You know, I love work. I was a worker, you know, work was my thing. So I needed to orchestrate a new, um, a new career or a new working expression, you know, once my son arrived. And so what I was very fortunate after my son arrived, you know, I love being a mom, but I definitely needed that professional expression. Mm -hmm. Um, Somebody at Landmark who was part of consulting services offered me a project and they had a course called the wisdom course and they wanted somebody to represent it. And I said, I would be happy to do that. And that, you know, it was in New York, they wanted it in Boston. So that's what I took on. And that's what I did for the next two to almost two and a half years while my son was little. And I could bring, you know, when I was little, I could bring him into the office. You know, we're all women. And, you know, I had my desk and he was in his car, you know, like one of those car seat kind of things, hanging out. I could nurse him there. And, you know, he got more attention going to the office probably than I did, you of know, because everybody wanted to pick him up and care. The center manager used to put him in her office on the seat and give him a phone. So it looked like he was in kind of, she had to like prop him up a little bit because she kind of little, and it looked like he was running the center. That's amazing. <laughs> and, you know, everybody loved him and he was just so great. But I did that for, you know, about two and a half years till, you know, after I filled the course, they would lay me off. And one time I was talking to my friend in New York who did the same thing that I did. He represented the wisdom course in New York with my friend, Mark. And I said, you know, I really got to get to work. What should I do? He said, you should be a consultant. I said, well, what do consultants do? And he says, well, I'll give you a little bit of a model of, you know, this is what I've done. It was really kind of a coaching model. But this was like in, oh, when was this? This was in 1994. Mm -hmm. So somebody right when I'm cleaning out my desk, somebody approaches me and says, um, can I speak with you? And I'm getting ready to go home. And I'm a little bit like, who are you? I don't know who you are. You know, you know, when right. you're, you're, at night and you're, like, yeah, you're, you're, you're not, you're not as gracious as you would like to be, but I just said, fine, sure. Okay. And we sat down she goes, somebody, you know, who you work with while you were on staff, uh, recommended you as a coach and I'd like to hire you. I said, what? Say what? Okay, that sounds great. <laughs> yes, so I do I, make this jewelry professionally. <laughs> well, no, they right? No, but I mean, for, yeah, but yeah, the same, the same vein. Like it was the same response. Yep, like, yes, exactly. And so, you know, I, but I talked to my friend Mark, who coached me, like how to charge, what to do, and I, and I just followed his lead, and she hired me. And then when she hired me, I said, you know, I've led programs i've trained and developed thousands of assistants i'm going to reach out to the people who aren't participating here any you know at this present time mm-hmm. and just let them know i'm doing this by my my second month i had six clients <laughs> and it was amazing and i loved it and i did it you know my son you know because i trained even when i was pregnant i would work from like 10 to 10 at night you know 10 in the morning till 10 at night yep. so my son didn't wake up till about 9:30 He just didn't, which was so unique. And so I would schedule all my clients from 6.30 to 9.30. 
I would do it over the phone. I spent nothing. I spent nothing. They called me. I didn't have a, I didn't have a business card. I didn't make a brochure, which I had spent thousands of dollars when I did my, but I learned from that, you know, like don't spend your, you know, like pick the important things you need to spend your money on. I'm not saying don't spend money, but I didn't spend superfluous money. Right. And I, so I just started and all I needed was my phone and this kept going, you know, and then at 10 o'clock, me and my son would go out and do our play dates and walk or to the park. It, it was like, it was like a dream come true. That's amazing. And then, and then as he got older, you know, he went to preschool. So, you know, I had a friend who, you know, had some office space. I rented some of that and, you know, I did some business groups. Uh, my husband became the, um, the general manager for a consulting firm that for his sister and they had a whole other methodology. So I became an affiliate of theirs for a while and they created a program for me called fulfilling work. And then I would have my clients do fulfilling work. Then I said, Oh, I need a group to do after we do fulfilling work. And then they design essence of accomplishment for me. So, Mm -hmm. and I delivered that. I worked with them for three years. And then finally I decided I wanted to do my own work, like develop my own work. And as soon as I started developing my own work, my business doubled, which was kind of interesting. Wow. Okay. Wait, so I want to take a quick break. Um, And then when we come back, I want to spend the time that we have remaining talking about where you like what you're doing now, this shift that you've taken, because you were talking about it was the job of your dreams and it's a great segue. So let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we will continue with Nancy Cantor of Cantor Consulting. Stacey Heller is many things, entertaining yet enlightening. She's a talk show host channeling her inner Fallon. Like Winston Wolf, she's a fixer who gets things done with style. Practical, like Dr. Ruth. Stacy isn't afraid of the uncomfortable when searching for answers. She's your biggest fan and sees your potential before you do. Most of all, Stacy Heller is a synapse who can connect impulses and ideas about your business and yourself into possibility. To connect with Stacy, go to stacyconnects.com. Stacy Connects, it's her superpower. Get inspired every hour right here on Alternative Talk 1150. Don't ask me to talk. Hello, welcome back to Don't Ask Me to Talk. I am Stacey Heller, your host, and uh, before the break, Nancy was talking about her habit of saying yes to opportunity and following her gut and building up a whole skill set that has led to what she's doing now. So, um, Nancy, so you have transitioned and... Share with folks what you've been working on most recently. Okay. So just to say my profession right now, I'm a business development coach, and I've been doing that for 28 years. So I can work with people individually. I also work with teams of people um, to help them really clarify where they want to go, what their goals are, and then have a, a structure, a strategy, a plan, and accountability for moving forward. And so in my process of developing my business, 
um, I moved 45 minutes away from where I was. And um, I decided I needed to network and get more involved. And that's where I joined BNI. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I started to do is um, I, I led a group and somebody said, the group you just led was fabulous. And I said, well, and there was somebody I'd met through BNI. I said, well, why was it so fabulous? And she said, it was all women. I said, really? And so she had coached me to, um, she was, you know, we were doing a partial trade and she does marketing. She said, you should do women in business luncheons. I said, okay, I'll do women in business luncheons. So I found a local restaurant and uh, that had a separate room. And so we started designing that and that worked out great. And I, w- I was leading um, a program called Successful Entrepreneur Workshop. And then I had come up with a, a six-month group called Designing for Success. Mm-hmm. And that was my program. I, and I was a coach. And I was coaching people. And I felt really good about that. Um, but then some things started happening. And, you know, maybe these things were connected. One of my member, you know, one of my clients was doing work uh, in Ecuador. And mm-hmm. so we designed a trip called Dream Beyond the Dream, and we went to Ecuador to help women entrepreneurs there develop their skill sets and become more successful. Sort of saying that um, if you want to fulfill your dreams, help other people fulfill theirs. Mm-hmm. So that I did some work in the rainforest, you know, outside of Quito and in the rainforest of Ecuador. I also, somebody, a friend of mine who I met through BNI sent me this email about Carolyn Mace, who I love who does, has a book called Sacred Contracts. And she was leading a program at Finhorn Scotland, a spiritual community on sacred contracts. So it's kind of saying we all have a, a sacred contract, you know, and we get woken up to what those different things are throughout our lives to pay attention to like that spiritual guidance. And I was leading salons on this book and helping translate it for people because it's kind of heady material. Mm-hmm. So it was right around that time that I had a dream. And in the dream, I was answering the phone saying the dream factory. So then I had to figure out, well, you know, I'm kind of into this women focused programming. And then I get this thing about the dream factory. And I decided the dream factory is for women. I also decided like the two places I had just been were very community oriented. So that the dream factory was going to be a community. It took me a while to get there, but that was sort of the the short story of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then it was kind of like saying, well, what does a dream factory do? And I said, well, it empowers women to live their, per- you know, and it was designed for women, you know, originally from the get-go, their personal and professional dreams. So I said, okay, that feels pretty good. And so then I came up with this concept of what we do is we train CDOs, not CEOs, but CDOs who are chief dream officers. So once I came up with that about CDOs, I said, okay, now I have to develop a curriculum that fits that way of speaking about things. And it was really just people taking a, it it wasn't necessarily what I came up with related specifically to women. I was just using it for women. Mm -hmm. And so I came up with chief dream officer training. So that became like the beginning piece of the dream factory community. And eventually how I set it up is that women come, it's a membership organization, they come, they join, and they do the CDO training. And what we say CDOs are, are people who are visionaries, organizers, self-transformers, and community leaders. 
And this is what we teach people in order to go through, to create anything. And we help them go through a dream creation process and come up with a dream creation plan. Mm-hmm. And once they do that, there's accountability. So then we have circles that meet every month and they're supported in fulfilling on the plan that they come up with in their CDO training. It's really powerful. So full transparency to people that are listening to this. I I met Nancy through BNI and a couple different people were like, you've got to meet her. And I love connecting. Hello, I'm Stacy Connects. And <laughs> we connected and I did the training. Actually, I was doing the training when my mom was visiting. And it was a, a more abbreviated training because of Zoom and, and those kinds of things. And I was so energized and had plans and and it was such a clear process to go through. You know, it was like, here's the process, here's the conversation, here's the things to think about. And it made it so easy to take such a big topic and and really chop it down into bite-sized pieces. And um, it was very powerful. And I then, of course, joined one of your circles. And, you know, to be able to have an accountability group that you can talk with and, you know, share your progress and there's a different focus um, each quarter. And, and it's it's been just fabulous. Well, I totally appreciate you saying that. I mean, the proof's in the pudding. Like we do have, you know, a workbook that includes the CDO training and 12 accountability sessions that people use in their circles. You know, we do a gathering every month, you know, more educational connecting, mm-hmm. you know, we want always want people to connect, but more educational to keep reinforcing those four quadrants of visionary organizer, self-transformer and community leader so that we really continue to train CDOs. Um, it's been an amazing thing. And I have to say, you know, during COVID, We've been doing that for, it's been, we're in our 17th year. We're actually celebrating the Dream Factory birthday on October 21st. Um, We've been doing this for 17 years and we keep perfecting it. So when COVID hit, I think it's because like the whole community aspect has been really interesting because I feel like there's so many things that are more generated by the members than from me like people come to me with their ideas of what they would like to see Mm -hmm. and what they think would move them to the next level or what would be interesting or exciting um you know one thing we did we're having check-ins so rather than you know just the monthly circles which are amazing but at a time of covid you know one of one of my circle leaders was concerned about people, especially people that lived alone. Like, mm-hmm. are they connecting? You know, are they okay? Like she really wanted to check on them. So mm-hmm. we started check-ins, which I thought was really, really cool and interesting. So Monday and Friday, we do check-in calls, you know, over Zoom. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, for an hour, you know, nine to 10, well, in Eastern time, nine to 10. And then, then after a while, you know, we have like a good regular group of people that come, you know, it's nothing you have to commit to like a circle, you're, it's an accountability group, right. but the check-ins have evolved into people share about all kinds of things. The whole point is to stay connected mm-hmm. and it's been a beautiful process. And then the next thing, you know, 
they want a writing group. So we have a woman that does, you know, publishing and editing. So she, she said, I'll lead the writing group. And so we've been using writing and exploring writing from the point of view, how, do, how does your writing help you move forward on living your dreams? Because mm-hmm. everything we do is directed towards being a chief dream officer, having a dream and fulfilling it. And, you know, I think particularly as women, you know, we're, we're kind of used to, I mean, you have four kids. So, you know, I have four grandkids and I have, four, you know, I have four kids originally, you know, I have three stepkids and now I've got grandkids and there's mm-hmm. a whole crew. I think as women, we're not well trained to say, oh, I have dreams and I'm going to create them. It's more like, what does everybody else need? And maybe if I have a minute at the end of the day, I'll do something about it. And so I think we're really cultivating a community that's committed to supporting women in fulfilling their dreams. Like pay attention to this. You know, we have a lot of people who are, you know, coming out of, you know, they're empty nesters like yourself, Mm -hmm. or maybe going into retirement or, you know, trying to create a business and they have kids or new to something, or they have a business and they want to bump it up to the next level because we have a business membership as well to help people focus on that. So I think it's just been, it's been a creation that's happened over time. And what we have is a model and a curriculum. And what I've been able to do with that, given my, my, I also wear that I am a business development coach, that I can bring that into companies and organizations. Like I've been doing our CDO training with a nonprofit, with an executive director and her staff. Mm-hmm. And the and the first year was having them all have development plans themselves. What are their personal dreams? Where do they want to grow within their, you know, within their work setting? And now this is our second year. We're going to look at what is that vision? What's the dream for the organization? And how do we set up a, a dream creation plan for the organization? And how do you all play a part in that? Right. So I'm very, very excited about that. You know, I've, do, I've done the CDO training at Fidelity and done a two-year project with executives there. And I've also done, um, done it with Thermo Fisher because I had a client at Thermo Fisher. So, but the, the dream factory for women continues to grow. And, and, you know, it's kind of like a great um, experimentation Mm -hmm. in some ways, like how to perfect it. Right. Because it's been going on for so long and I have my circle leaders and, you know, we meet on a regular basis and, you know, we have our gatherings that we do once a month and, you know, we do our check-ins and I participate in the check-ins. Like before it was more like I ran a community, I'm the founder and I run this community, right? you know, and I manage stuff. I lead and I manage stuff. Now I am part of the community. Right. Well, I think you have a philosophy of like, you know, this, the, the students should become the master, right? And that we all can learn from each other. And I think the power, um, we're going to have to close up here, but the power of what you're doing essentially is allowing people to, it's one thing to manifest the dream, but you need to then create it and develop it. And that is the power in what you're doing. Um, If people want to learn more about you and your business consulting or the Dream Factory, how can they find you? The best way to find us is at cantorconsulting.com and it's C-A-N-T-O-R cantorconsulting.com and in the middle of the page it has the dream factory and it says learn more if you click on that it'll bring you to the dream factory page it'll have our events like our our birthday party that's coming up it'll give you um 
all the information about membership and the dip different types of membership. We have tons of testimonials on the website too. So you might get a better idea of how people have responded to what we offer. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you so much for being my guest. Uh, for you, it's the end of the day. So have a good evening. Uh, thank you to Eric. Thank you again to Nancy. And um, next week, my guest is going to be Simi Carr. Thanks, everyone. Stay connected. Yeah. Yeah.